Hello, everyone. I'm Dr. Naomi Baratera, and before we dive into our episode for today, I wanted to take a moment to tell you about an exciting travel opportunity. From September 30th through October 9th, 2020, I will be traveling with fellow opera lovers on a cruise through Italy, Croatia, and Greece. Throughout the voyage, we'll visit amazing historical sites, including La Fenice, the Riace Bronzes, and the UNESCO World Heritage Site at Ravello, a city with a rich musical past and present, and so much more. In addition to these exciting offshore excursions, you'll be treated to nightly onboard concerts featuring the works of Rossini, Bellini, Donizetti, Verdi, and Puccini. And I'll be providing a series of exclusive guild lectures paired with each performance. This is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to experience the Mediterranean through the eyes of an opera historian, and I would love for you to join me on this adventure. Cabins are still available. For more information, visit metguild.org travel or call 212-769-7009. I would say bon voyage, but since we're beginning and ending this cruise in Italy, I'll say buon viaggio. Now, into our episode. Political ambition, deception, and corruption all rise to the surface in Handel's Agrippina. Superstar mezzo-soprano Joyce DiNinato brings the world of ancient Rome to life in the Met Opera's premiere. On this episode of the Metropolitan Opera Guild podcast, we learn more about this political dark comedy. The Metropolitan Opera Guild is dedicated to enriching people's lives through an awareness and deeper appreciation of opera. Our podcast features lectures and events presented by the Guild in support of performances at the Metropolitan Opera. The Metropolitan Opera Guild podcast is funded in part by support from the Stuart J. Pierce Memorial Fund. To learn more, visit metguild.org. Filled with familiar figures from ancient Rome, Agrippina features a story that has some pretty sinister sub-themes. However, it's set to a comedic and light-hearted score. Sir David McVicker's production brings this balance of darkness and light to audiences at the Met for the first time. I'm Stuart Holt, and on this episode of the Metropolitan Opera Guild podcast, lecturer, composer, and conductor Victoria Bond takes a closer look at this Baroque masterpiece. A woman with political power, a political system of partisan warfare, dynasties of rulers, the divine right of a ruler to break the rules. Do these issues resonate with today? Well, Agrippina may have been written a long time ago, but it's a story that is still true. A little bit of background on Agrippina and who she was and a little bit of Roman history. Agrippina was descended from both Mark Antony and Augustus, the inheritor of divine blood of both the Julian and the Claudian line. Agrippina's father died or was murdered when she was a toddler 
and her mother, Agrippina the Elder, blamed his murder on Tiberius, fomenting a rivalry. Agrippina the Elder was murdered, leaving Agrippina an orphan at age 18. When Tiberius died, his brother Caligula ascended the throne as the third emperor. He gave his sisters, among them Agrippina, power and honor, and was accused of having incest with them. Agrippina, who was married at the time to a senator much older than herself, gave birth to her only son, Nero. Caligula was assassinated, and his uncle, Claudius, replaced him as emperor. Changing the Roman incest rules, he married Agrippina, who was his niece, whose two husbands had died. It was rumored that Agrippina had seduced Claudius into marrying her and adopting her son Nero, thus disinheriting his own biological son. Handel's opera takes place during the time when Agrippina was Claudius's wife. Ruling as an equal, she was considered to have desecrated Roman law, which held women to be in a subordinate role in society. Romans despised her disgusting masculinity and female cruelty. Her power grab, however, was all for her son Nero, who she positioned to be Rome's next emperor by murdering Claudius with a poisoned mushroom. At age 16, Nero became emperor. So much for the background, and now a bit about Handel's opera. Agrippina is an opera seria in three acts by George Friedrich Handel, with a libretto by Cardinal Vincenzo Grimani. The opera tells the story of Agrippina, the mother of Nero, as she plots the downfall of the Roman emperor Claudius and the installation of her son as emperor. Grimani's libretto, considered one of the best that Handel set, is an anti-heroic satirical comedy full of topical political allusions. Some analysts believe that it reflects Grimani's political and diplomatic rivalry with Pope Clement XI. Handel composed Agrippina at the end of a three-year sojourn in Italy. It premiered in Venice in 1709 and proved an immediate success and an unprecedented series of 27 consecutive performances followed. Observers praise the quality of the music, much of which, in keeping with the contemporary custom, had been borrowed or adopted from other works, including the works of other composers. Now, one of the principal forms of this opera is called the aria da capo, from the top. And it's a, basically, it's a three-part form. A section, B, contrasting B section, return of the A section with embellishments. And that brings up a whole new issue because the performers were very uh, were encouraged to use their own ornamentation, which involved scales, arpeggios, trills, high notes, things that singers love to do and that contemporary composers were always trying to get them not to do. Don't interpolate the high notes. Don't add extra trills. Don't hold notes too long. But in the Baroque era, this was encouraged. So you will hear almost all of the arias have uh, these, these three sections. Now, we're going to play a couple of clips for you, and I want to talk a little bit, uh, set them up beforehand. The first one is of Agrippina herself, and she is one powerhouse of a woman. 
and the music reflects that. Very interesting the way Handel uses coloratura because we're used to coloratura being basically for a high female voice. But coloratura in the Baroque era was used for all different voice types. In this particular aria, Agrippina is sung by a mezzo-soprano, and the music reflects her character. Her character is a very take-charge kind of person. Uh, you know she is a no-nonsense lady when you hear this. And um, listen to the way the oboe, um, which is an instrument that is associated with her, listen to the way the oboe and the singer exchange motifs. The first A section of this aria is already quite embellished with coloratura runs. In this context, they express Agrippina's bold personality. We are familiar with this highly florid music from Handel's most popular oratorio, The Messiah. The B section of the aria contrasts the aggressive nature of the A section with a more subdued tone. The A section returns, this time giving the singer the opportunity to vary it, as demonstrated here by the expansion of the oboe voice imitation and interpolated high notes. character of 
of Agrippina is very clearly delineated by this music. In this next aria, sung by Ottone, we meet the soldier responsible for saving the life of the emperor Claudius. In the opening scene of the opera, news reached the palace that Claudius had been killed by an accident at sea. Agrippina rejoices at this news as her goal is to install her son Nero as the new emperor. However, another messenger arrives to say that Claudius has been rescued by Ottone and is not dead after all. To reward Ottone for his bravery, Claudius has promised that he will inherit the throne. Claudius arrives and Agrippina must pretend that she is glad to see him, although she is really furious that Ottone, and not Nero, will succeed Claudius as emperor. In this aria, Ottone sings of good fortune and happy fate. The role is sung by a countertenor, a voice type particularly popular in the Baroque era. In those days, boys with beautiful high voices were castrated to preserve their voice before it could change, as naturally happens to all young men. As they grew to maturity, they retained the high register, but their voices developed masculine strength and power and had a very different quality than a female voice of the same range. They became the superstars of the era, commanding high fees and inspiring composers to write starring roles for them in their operas. The role of Nero is sung by a countertenor, as is the smaller role of Narciso. In this aria, the A section has a strutting military quality, expressing Ottone's strong character. The B section is more lyrical, as he muses about his love for Popea. When the A section returns, the coloratura is embellished with a wealth of scales and high notes. And just a note about countertenors, fortunately, the practice of castrating boys is no longer practiced. No! <laughs> 
this production is in modern dress, and the production you're going to see tonight is also going to be updated to a contemporary setting. And uh, I thought you probably would be interested in knowing who the cast is of this recording. So it is Agrippina is Patricia Barden, Nerone, who we haven't seen yet, is Jake Arditi, Popea, who we also haven't met, is Danielle Denise. Anotone, who we just heard, is Filippo Mineccia. Um, it's the Balthazar Neumann Ensemble, conducted by Thomas Hengelbrook. Um, so the next character we'll meet is uh, Popea. And Popea is sung by a soprano. She's supposed to be younger than Agrippina. And um, as I mentioned earlier, Agrippina is setting in motion all sorts of nefarious plans in order to get her son Nero on the throne and to discredit Otone. So the first thing she wants to do is she wants to break up Otone and Popea, who are in love. In this aria, which ends Act One, Popea has been falsely led to believe that her beloved Otone does not love her and is only interested in the power of the throne. Agrippina, in her malicious plot to have Nero inherit the throne and not Otone, uses Popea as a pawn in her goal of discrediting Otone. Popea's aria is one of rage against Otone, who she views as false and cruel. Her love for him has changed to fury, and her music reflects angry rage. Listen to how the seemingly cheerful theme is punctuated by fierce coloratura. It is particularly interesting to observe how coloratura runs can be used for a variety of emotions by a composer as skilled as Handel. In this aria, those runs become quite manic. The oboe is again the solo instrument together with the strings. The B section of this aria further demonstrates Popea's rage by having the strings tremolo angrily and when the A section returns, it is a veritable volcano of furious runs. Now, who is she furious at? She is not furious at Agrippina yet. She thinks Agrippina is her friend and is basically confiding in her this great secret that Otone doesn't love her. She is furious at Otone. Si cangia le, si cangia le, 
Now it is rumored that Handel wrote this opera in three weeks, which would seem pretty amazing. However, he did borrow music from a lot of other sources, not only his own, but other composers. Arcangelo Corelli, Jean-Baptiste Lully, to name a few. This was common practice in that, uh, in that era. Um, pieces, uh, operas were not considered sacrosanct. I mean, they took a little of this and a little of that. We know this from more contemporary um, uh, operas, such as the Beggar's Opera, which had, was kind of a pastiche of, uh, of various popular tunes. But this was something that was very much part and parcel of an opera composer in those days. And in addition to that, Handel's music was also borrowed by other composers for their operas. And he, in fact, borrowed the only, one of the only opera arias that was written specifically for Agrippina for the Messiah. <laughs> so um, one of my favorite uh, letters that Mozart wrote to his father was uh, he was in a cheap hotel room and he says, upstairs there's a singer, to my right there's a bass player, to my left there's a trombonist, underneath there's uh, uh, somebody playing the, uh, the violin. He said, I'm getting all kinds of ideas. <laughs> I mean, today we would say this is a typical New York apartment, right? <laughs> um, okay, in this next clip, we meet Claudius himself. The music is regal, full of pomp and dignity. Claudius utters his first proclamation unaccompanied. His tempo is measured as befits a master politician his character being supremely sure of himself. He gloats over his military victories and the subjugation of his enemies. He is a bass singer, lending gravitas to the role.
What about poor Ottone? Not only has his beloved Popea um, <coughs> rejected him or felt that he rejected her, so she's rejected him. At any rate, they are far apart, and she is furious with him for what she thinks is his um, uh, uh, leaving her for the throne. But also, Claudius is furious at Ottone, again something stirred up by Agrippina, who says, this man is a traitor. He wants to kill you and take over your throne. And look out for him. He is a traitor. So poor Ottone, who is first in the, in the beginning considered to be a hero because he rescued Claudius from the jaws of death uh, by uh, an accident at sea um, and was the hero and was going to be the next emperor, all of a sudden his wheel of fortune has turned completely upside down he is now disgraced by Claudius and rejected by his true love. And what does this do? This gives Handel the perfect opportunity to write one of the most moving arias in the entire opera. It is really so beautiful, long, melismatic lines. The orchestra fairly sobs in this. This is not a showy piece, um, which shows the tremendous scope of Handel's music. One thing that separated Handel from his Italian colleagues was that the orchestra was so much a part of what he did. And for the Italian composers at that time, the orchestra was basically very subservient to the voice. The voice was king. But because Handel came from an instrumental background and an instrumental culture, which was the German culture, um, he incorporated all of that knowledge and all of that attention on the orchestra and incorporated that into the operas. So listen in particular to the expressive quality 
of the orchestra as well as the voice in this very beautiful and moving aria, Ottone. Oh, 
There are a number of other operas based on this period in Roman history. L'Incoronazione di Popea by Claudio Monteverdi in 1643 describes how Popea, mistress of the Roman emperor Nero, is able to achieve her ambition and be crowned empress. Neron by Anton Rubinstein, loosely based on the story of the Roman emperor Nero, premiered in Russia in 1884. Nerone by Arrigo Boito, who died in 1918 before finishing the work, it was eventually premiered posthumously at La Scala in 1924, conducted by Arturo Toscanini. Nerone by Pietro Mascagni, premiered in 1935 at La Scala, conducted by Mascagni himself. According to Handel's first biographer, Agrippina was composed in three weeks in 1709, Handel borrowing extensively from his earlier oratorios and cantatas and from other composers, including Arcangelo Corelli and Jean-Baptiste Lully. This practice of adapting and borrowing was common at the time, but is carried to greater lengths in Agrippina than in almost all of Handel's other major dramatic works. Later, some of Agrippina's music was used by Handel in his London operas Rinaldo, 1711, and in the 1732 version of Asus and Galatea, in each case with little or no change. One of the few arias composed specifically for Agrippina can be found in the Messiah aria He Was Despised, 1742. According to Handel's first biographer, Agrippina was composed in three weeks. Yes, so I mentioned that uh, um, that uh, he used uh, other composers, uh, most notably Corelli and uh, Lully, used their music. And also he used music from Agrippina for um, Rinaldo in 1711 and in the 19, 1732 version of Asus and Galatea. So, I mean, borrowing was um, something that was very much part and parcel. Of course, we have that not only um, in American jazz, where things are based on earlier works, but um, if those of you who are familiar with West Side Story will no doubt recognize um, quotes from Beethoven, Piano Concerto, and from Tchaikovsky, and whatever other composers Beethoven was conducting at that time. So composers naturally absorb the music around them. They take it and they make it their own. But I think we'll all agree that the music of Agrippina does not um, sound like a pastiche. It has tremendous integrity. So whatever Handel did to fuse all of these disparate uh, pieces into a meaningful whole uh, was very successful. So um, the next uh, clip is sung by Popea, and she has realized Agrippina's plot and plan and realizes that Ottone really does love her and that it's Agrippina who is the person she should be angry with. So she is a spunky young lady and she says, nobody is going to trick me. Um, I will get even. She is kind of almost a Susanna-like uh, character of Mozart's marriage of Figaro later on. This aria is particularly interesting as the instruments double the quick moving vocal line, giving a sparkling effect. Popea understands Agrippina's nefarious plot to separate her and Ottone and realizes he still loves her. 
She is not one to be tricked, and her music reflects the spunky nature of her character. She is sharp and quick-witted, and her music bubbles with youthful vitality. What he does is he doubles all the rhythms of the voice with the orchestra, with the instruments of the orchestra. So you get this kind of sparkling quality as everybody is doing the same ta 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 ta, the same rhythmic vitality. So now we meet Nerone, who is sung by a countertenor, and Nerone is in love with all women. And so what does he do? He sings a song, a generalized song to women in general, and um, we know what Nero becomes. But in this particular aria, it's all sweetness and smiles, and he is singing a serenade, um, playing in this particular production, a guitar. And so um, uh, he is surrounded by a bevy of bikini-clad maidens, uh, and he is very happy about it. <laughs> Thank you. 
In this uh, last clip that uh, we're going to listen to and watch, I want you to pay particular attention to the orchestra. Because what Handel does in this is he blasts this loud um, string note. And then there's a long silence. It's a very, very bold move. And he is, this aria is sung by Agrippina. And he is um, expressing the steeliness of her character because she has now been thwarted by Ottone, who realizes what she has done, by Popea. So she is tormented by these thoughts. And the way the orchestra uh, represents this torment, I think, is particularly telling. In the da capo section, because we've got the A section, the B section, in which she invokes the gods to help her, imagine, written by a cardinal. <laughs> <laughs> to help her in this plot. And then when the A section comes back, that space that was left open after the strings played this, their loud note, that space is now filled up with her solo singing unaccompanied. A very, very bold and brilliant move by Handel. So in particular, I would um, uh, encourage you to listen to the orchestra in this particular aria. Yes! 
<laughs> I don't want to let you know what happens. Of course, we all know what happens. Nero becomes the next emperor. Um, but um, I think that you'll all agree, at least I hope so, that this is um, an opera with an incredible range of emotions. Um, each of the characters are so clearly delineated by the music, and um, it gives each singer such an incredible opportunity to um, be creative because singers were expected to add their own ornaments in the, in the uh, da capo arias, but also to be so very expressive. And so why has Handel not been recognized uh, as an opera composer as he has been as a composer of oratorios? I don't know the answer to that question. Maybe because Baroque operas are long. Um, this is three hours. So bring a snack. <laughs> um, but it's great operatic writing. And of course, compared to Wagner, this is just, you know, just a mere bagatelle. Right, exactly. Well, thank you so much, ladies and gentlemen. That was lecturer, conductor, and composer Victoria Bond examining the intrigue and impropriety of ancient Rome in Handel's Agrippina. The Metropolitan Opera's new production can be seen live in HD on February 29, 2020. To learn more about upcoming lectures and events at the Metropolitan Opera Guild, please visit metguild.org. I'm Stuart Holt, and thanks for listening.